0: Hey everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Really excited for today. We have Nick, uh Nick Casali coming and joining us. He is the uh head of sales for Sendoso, the VP sales of Sendoso. He was actually the fifth employee and the first salesperson there. And now they're over a 300-person company. The sales team is around 50. Uh, So he's going to talk a lot about hiring today and a lot of good tips for us on how how we could actually get there from that uh, early stage up into the multi-millions of dollars in a, a bigger company. So he comes from a lot of experience and looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Nick, thanks for joining us.
1: Adam, thanks for
0: having me. So uh, can can you give people a little bit of background about who you are? I mean, you, you heard what I said about you already. So uh, can you add to that, give people a little bit of background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, doing sales at Sendoso now, uh, leading a team. We I joined as the fifth employee uh, about three years ago for a sales hire. We now have almost uh, 300 employees. and just to right around doubling year over year.
0: Wow. That's terrific. What have been some of your biggest challenges? Oh, I don't think we have (laughs) enough time for that. (laughs) Uh, um, What was, what was your number one challenge getting off from, from that first day uh, to your first
1: million? uh, Going zero to one. the, The biggest challenge going zero to one is that you have to do everything. And so I can actually even expand on this point a little bit. Biggest challenge as a you know person boots on the ground in that zero to one space is doing everything. You are your yeah. own, you know, you're know, you obviously sales, your SDR a little bit, your sales ops a little bit, your marketing a little bit, your customer success and support a little bit. So I think being able to sort of do it all while being hyper-focused on the role that you're really being evaluated on, which you know for me was revenue at that point. Yeah. Um, the hardest part then as one of those people that's part of that zero to one journey, when you start to look at the one to 10 ARR journey is sort of stepping out of some of those other swim lanes. And as the company hires those other roles, letting people do the job they're hired for and in a lot of ways staying in your lane. Um, so that's been, I think, the biggest challenge on, on both sides of that.
0: Yeah. Not, not micromanaging them and just trusting, okay, I, my job here is done. Like I need to focus on something else now. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right. So, so were you responsible for, for the early stage of like hiring everybody and build,
1: starting to build that team? Um, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I was the first sales hire. I joined as an, as an IC really, my previous experience had been in an account executive and direct selling. Uh, I actually, funny story, used to work with our current CEO and founder, Chris Rugrat. He was uh, an account executive along with me at a company called TalkDesk. So uh, yeah, so in joining and, and starting, it was really developing the playbook, figuring out how we position, how we sell, what our sales process is in ways that I think sound really basic. But when you're at zero, you have to figure out how do we want to do a demo? What do we show? How long do we need? What do we do a deck? What do we talk about in a deck? Um, all those little nuanced things that when you join a company and step into a sales process, you sort of take for granted that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, all of that uh, hiring, some of the team, um, I didn't step into leadership for about two years. So I was still selling for the first two years there uh, up until probably right around 10 in ARR. Um, so still very hyper-focused on that foundational revenue in the early days. But like I said, you're doing a little bit of everything. So definitely helping a lot with the the hiring and, all those things.
0: All right. So, what advice can you give to to everybody listening that does not have a sales playbook? How, or even if they've been selling and they haven't actually just formalized a playbook, uh, what advice would you give to them?
1: Yeah. So, I, I think it's the term playbook is is really funny. I think that everyone pictures sort of a, a leather bound booklet of with magical <laughs> wisdom. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll interview VP of sales uh, or, you know, anyone who's early stage sales and they'll say, yeah, you know, I, I've got I have the playbook as if it's some artifact that they'll bring along that will magically work over and over again. And I think the key thing with building a sales playbook is understanding that it's not any one sort of set in stone thing. It's a process of, of iteration and it's a process of trial and error to understand what works for your business and what best serves your customers. In terms of how to interact with you and, and how to get the most out of your software
0: how how did you know what to what to do how, how did you
1: start to put these trial and errors together together yeah we we messed it up a ton of times <laughs> <laughs> give me an example we, we really, um, i mean so the funniest part was when um, when i first joined you know we had so much inbound demand i was running demos with one of the other founders and we were just doing really high volume outbound, right? Basically just kind of spraying and praying through a, a, a I like it was called mail shake, something that just lets you send out some ungodly amount of emails and, you know, really doing things almost exactly the wrong way and getting just back to back half hour meetings. I mean, I remember days where I had 14, 15 meetings just back to back half hour. So when you're doing stuff like that, none of it's personalized, right? You just basically show up and throw up. You try to stumble through a demo and then you basically say, I'll send you some, some information and let me know if you want to have another meeting. And you make people self-select into your, your sales cycle. Yeah. Um, we learned really quickly that was not going to be the most scalable way to do things. Because what you want to do is actually say, okay, we don't want to sell to tens of thousands of people, at least not right now. We want to sell to 100, 200, 300, 400 great fit accounts, maybe. So how do we hyper-focus on that? How do we make the sales process stellar for those group of people and it starts to naturally compound on itself because if you're focusing on similar people you start to have similar conversations you start to understand similar challenges similar pain points ask similar questions and get similar answers and you get better and better at delivering that uh, a fantastic customer experience and sales experience just based on the repetition of the motion there
0: you know every founder that i work with is always scared of that always scared of like, no, we could help these people. We could help these people. No, no, no. Focus down. The more focused you are, the better. How did you guys get over that fear?
1: I think it's still a fear that we have in a lot of ways. And I think it's a healthy fear for founders. You want to feel like you're, there's people who are missing out, right? You know that you can be serving. And I think it happens even at our stage, it's more pronounced with Say the Fortune 500, right, or what a lot of companies call enterprise, and they say things like, you know, we, we have to go up market, and you do, sure, and those companies absolutely, yeah, can get value out of what you're doing, but the process of moving up market is one that you can't just skip, right? You have to start with the the people that are willing to give you a shot when you're a ten person company doing something that sounds crazy, that's disruptive, and maybe the product isn't fully fledged out yet, and maybe you're still learning on the fly, those early customers are gonna be your partners. And then when you close enough of those other startups, you're able to get a little more sort of recognition and you move up and you move up and you move up. And that FOMO that you're not yet at that next tier is always gonna be there. And it's a natural, healthy inclination. But if you're a five person startup sitting in a room and you say, you know, screw it, we're only gonna to sell to the Fortune 500, you're gonna fall on your face because you don't have even basics like the security that they'll require, right? Just to let people use your platform. So the process of treating sort of your market, your total addressable market as a step ladder and not skipping any of the steps is in my opinion, you know, a a critical piece of of the process and something that your product and your company maturity is going to need. And there are exceptions, right? There are startups that, you know, are able to go right to the enterprise. I think like, um, there's there's certainly good examples uh plaid is probably a really good example right financial services, but by and large one of the companies i worked for
0: that's kind of what we did as well like yeah we had a couple earlier stage or smaller companies but pretty much we went right for the maybe fortune thousand uh to to go for them first
1: yeah And and it can it that definitely can work but if there's a market for your business In the SMB, in the mid market, you can't really skip it and then revert back.
0: And I think it's important also, like, to, you know, don't just go for it just because, hey, well, I want the bigger market. Like you said, typically the bigger enterprises need particular functionalities like single sign on or or security compliances uh, before being able to work with you. So if you're going to sit and try to sell to them, and they can't even on board with you. So what's the point?
1: Well, and big companies are going to have very specific feature requests based on very specific process that they do internally, right? There are things that are done at Facebook that no one else does, that are done at Google, that are done at, you know, HP or Boeing that no one else really has as a process. So if you f- do all your features for them and you go down this rabbit hole for that million dollar deal, there's a really good chance that, you do it all right and you make them a really happy customer. There's also a really good chance that none of that fits any other customers. Now, on the other side of that, what a lot of companies that are in that, let's say, you know, 250 to a thousand employee ballpark, their processes are all very similar actually, right? They use very familiar tech stacks. They don't have a lot of internally built tools. So if you build something for one or two or three or four of those customers, there's a really good chance it's going to resonate and it's going to help you sell into another 100, 200, 300 customers, and that starts to compound for you as well.
0: So, you've, you're you're closing these deals with these clients. You're you're finding your step ladder. Where do you begin, though? How do you decide where you're going to begin? Because you have your total addressable market, but you don't. You also don't want to just start on the really small guys.
1: Yeah, and, and that's certainly a balance. Um, one thing that we did really early on was we layered on an SMB segment. So mm-hmm. our third account executive we hired to focus solely on zero to 100-person companies. That's still a segment that we have today. Um, we have two account executives in that segment. This will do two things. One, it make sure you're not ignoring those tiny customers because a lot of companies in that zero to 100 are going to become – huge massive companies right like a lot of our market customers started in that segment. um yeah they start to get venture funding and they can grow really quickly so you make sure you're not forgetting about them but you also make sure that your sellers aren't overcompensating to worry about a lot of noise in the smb right so you look at our, our team for example we have 16 account executives two of them are focused on smb the third thing that lets you do is it lets you create a promotion path internally. We promote internally from SCR to SMB. So with that, that segment is something that I think is critical because again, your AEs are not hyper-focusing on that, except ones that are dedicated to it. You're promoting internally and you're letting your new reps cut their teeth with deals that maybe are okay with a rep that isn't quite as polished or quite as yeah. <laughs> experienced. Um, and you give them a little bit of a lower quota and you let them give some strategic pricing to some smaller companies that might need the help at the time.
0: Yeah. I like that. You're kind of building an internal stepladder and allowing, uh, allowing to train and grow them. Who, who's working with them though? Uh, how do you, how do you lay out the pattern there?
1: Working with the, the reps or the customers?
0: The, the new reps. Who's, who's helping train them? Who's helping them go into their new position?
1: Uh, as of today, they're you know part of our our sales org and they report to the same management level that uh, the mid market reps report to, and they're in those team meetings and learning from those reps because that's a big piece of the roles. We want them to be learning by osmosis as much as possible from reps that are selling the larger deals. Um, so you know we have sales enablement, we have sales management. They're very much being trained and and onboarded in the same way, but it's trial by fire. Right. In a lot of ways, we'll we'll give them, you know, maybe a week, two weeks of sort of co-piloting, listening, learning, and then basically throw them into a demo. And I'm a big believer in, you know, you're going to screw up a couple of times and then you kind of figure it out and you pull yourself up.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. we You know, even if you're a polished salesperson and you start a new company, you're still going to make those mistakes. We're all human. Are you guys only hiring at the at the SDR level and then letting them grow up? Or do you also like bring in a new account executive
1: at the senior level? With the point we're at, we only hire our SMB segment internally. And we hire externally from that SMB segment into what we call commercial one, which is really mid-market. That's 101 to 1,000 employees. That's where the bulk of our account executives are. So, that role will hire externally and promote from internally from SMB. So, we've promoted, you know, that team is, let's see, 16 minus, you know, that's 10 reps. Uh, three of them are internal promotions, former SMB, and the rest we hired externally because you just don't have the volume, probably, of it's a function of time, right? In terms of the amount of your account executive team that was promoted from SCR. You know, theoretically, when you get to a point where you've had enough SDRs, you've had enough time um, where reps move up that ladder and you start to look at, you know, look around your sales floor and you do have a lot of people that have been there a long time and moved up and moved up. But when you're, you know, a three-year-old company and you need a rep with five years of selling experience, that math doesn't add up pretty quick, right?
0: Yeah. How did you guys figure out to to segment the market how you did? Like 101 to 1,000 uh, employee companies is, is your mid-market, you have your SMB for lower. How did you map that out?
1: Yeah, so it's a combination of your your current and historical data and your future intentions. So part of it was looking at it and saying, you know, how much do we have in this market to support, based on the revenue we've done, where does our, our historical revenue split? Right. And so we realized that there was basically, if you draw a line at a thousand employees, that's where, you know, there's a significant amount over it that looks a certain way and behaves a certain way in terms of sales cycle, time, size, and that 100 to a thousand also sort of looks and behaves a certain way again, in terms of that sales cycle and size. Uh, But the other piece of that was saying we want people to be focused on because those, people are going to naturally take a path of least resistance, right? If you give, uh, and I think SDR is, is a organization where this becomes really apparent for companies and they segment out and have to try to train this behavior early on. If you tell an SDR that they're going to get paid per meeting, where are they going to go get meetings, right? The easiest people to get meetings with, they'll go to SMB companies and they'll set meetings with manager level people. So if you're a business that's saying we need to be talking to VP level, at a 3,000 person company, you need to find a way to either incentivize that behavior or force it. So that's part of the reason that you start to segment out is we wanted to say, look, we need to focus on these 1,000 up companies, which that's not necessarily enterprise by any means. We actually call it commercial two um, Mm -hmm. because we recognize it's not true, true enterprise. It's not one rep working on two or three accounts for a year or two years, but it's a bigger company. It's it's harder to get in the door. There's more stakeholders, so we have more tenured, more experienced reps that we place in that segment that are able to focus on building that that muscle for us and and focus on those customers exclusively, which has been, you know, hugely valuable in terms of uh, figuring out that segment faster.
0: Okay, um, so I, as your team has grown what What kind of changes have happened internally that uh, that other founders should should be aware of and and how did you approach approach these as the problems started coming up?
1: The founders should be aware of um, so one one trick i'll give I'll give founders is I think a lot of founders have assumptions that can range from customer needs and desires to competitive stuff that's coming up um, to feedback on a certain way you're positioning or messaging, do yourself a favor and buy Gong early. early, earlier than you think you need it. Right. Yeah. And go into Gong and set up a bunch of triggers for keywords and have it email you every time that something that you're either afraid of or excited about is getting talked about. And what you'll end up with is a folder in your inbox with that you you know categorize and every time that a customer says a competitor you can listen to the minute of conversation that happens following that word right or every time that someone says a feature request as if your ae says the word feature request after they say that that'll trigger gong to send an email to you so don't try to have this subjective feedback loop with your sales team that's one thing that's really hard i think every founder wants to understand what Customers, prospects, what everyone's talking about. And it ends up being a game of telephone. And what you'll end up with is a really subjective answer based on what is the either the most painful for that rep at that moment in time or just bias, right? You'll you'll get a very subjective answer. So, you know, hey Nick, what are customers saying at noon on a Wednesday? You're gonna ask me that question, right? And I think that this is one thing that our, our founders were great about not doing because they're both come from a sales background. So they understand that that's maybe not the most valuable question to ask <laughs> at a random point in time. Yeah. Um, but if, if you're, you know, if you're curious to get that prospect feedback, to understand what, what prospects are, how they're reacting, what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, create a process to catalog that data. Um, and hear it firsthand for yourself without, maybe listening to every single phone call.
0: I think that's awesome, too. A great way to use use another tool, such as Gong. Um, because so many salespeople, they hate going into meetings with product. And yeah, this is what they're saying. This is their feature request that they want. and Because it takes time away from selling. So this really streamlines that. And also, we're salespeople. We're, you know, we can only remember so much. And I, I can't remember exactly what product everybody wants. I, I'm yeah. focused on the sale. I don't want to focus on the, on getting the product better.
1: Exactly. <clears throat> what other ways are you using uh using gong? Um so another thing, Tip, as you're as you're scaling the sales team, uh, I borrowed this from Mark Robert, who's uh you know was I think third employee at HubSpot CRO through IPO, um, and now runs a DC firm that actually invested in Sendoso. So one piece of advice was game film and this is something that's been hugely valuable and we'll do well after you know work from home's over, but especially during work from home, is break up your sales team into groups where don't do more than like 10, right? So however many sales people you have, if you've got you know, let's say 16, 15, break them into two groups, but do a weekly game film and rotate and have someone bring a call, a got recording, and then assign one person to focus on giving positive feedback and assign one person in the group to focus on room for improvement. And it rotates every week, right? So if you're on the hot seat one week, you're bringing the call next week, you're on room for improvement next week you're on feedback and so on. And everyone listens to the call together and then you get to talk about it. So, you know, if it's our team meeting, first half is listening, second half is feedback and conversation. So this is two things. One, it lets your peers, it forces your peers to learn from each other, to give and provide feedback. And the second thing it does is it creates that sort of learning by osmosis that you're missing out on right now by working from home. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of the sort of lost productivity for sales reps that comes from work from home is not being able to overhear everyone. There's There's no real quantifiable, you know, amount of information that you're getting just because traditional startup sales for, you know, I'm like when I'm at the office, I sit within two feet of six people. Very not social distance. But <laughs> as a result, you hear a ton of things naturally. Right. And you start to almost subconsciously say, That sounded good. I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna borrow that. Right. Um, you're not able to do that anymore. And so if you're able to listen to someone's whole call, and this happened to us just last week, I had someone say to another rep who brought their call like wow emma it's crazy we've worked together for six months i think that's the second time i've ever heard you pitch sendosa and i love how you did this one thing and i love how you said this thing um so that process of forcing your team to have moments that are as close as they can to what they would have had by learning from each other uh, i think is hugely valuable because coaching is obviously one of the highest impact activities you do as a leader Um, but one-to-one coaching is only going to go so far. And I think trying to find ways for your team to naturally coach each other is going to pay off dividends.
0: So if only one person is focusing on negative and one on positive, what are the other uh, seven people
1: doing? (laughs) Yeah. So the funny (laughs) part is we actually kind of threw the, the positive negative out the window. We try to stick to it, but we really just go around the horn. So we'll just say, you know, Start with uh, Emma does the call. I'll go, all right, Cameron, what'd you think for, you know, what Emma did well? And then we'll go, all right, Elizabeth, what do you think? Emma could have done a little better. And then we'll go to Ryan. What'd you think overall thoughts, either positive or negative? Kyle, what'd you think, positive, negative? The goal here is that it becomes an organic conversation. So the Can you more keep, you keep can that into a
0: half thinking. an hour call, a half an hour meeting?
1: We've, we've had to go over we we've had these go over, and that's the fun part. Is uh, it's it's we do it four to five on Wednesdays, and we've had conversations bleed into you know five thirty, six o'clock, and you lose track of the time. Um, so no, I you know I I certainly don't think it can fit ideally if you're doing it right, uh, but that's very okay.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I would say that uh, it needs to be definitely at least like an hour and a half, two hour meeting because. To to once a week to get that much feedback and help each other out. I think, like you said, you're getting that feedback loop from uh, as far as your skills and being able to hear from your peers and learn from your peers. Even some of the the best tricks I learned and and I shouldn't say tricks; it sounds like negative. But the best sales ideas and the the way the methodologies I've learned over the years is from hearing it from other people and then putting it to practice. So I love that idea. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what's what's the one thing that's you you know now that you wish that you would have known at the early days?
1: I have a little bit of a boring answer, but uh, I think how critical sales ops is as you scale is a big one. Um, understanding <laughs> having someone on the team like. Yeah. For example, if I join a new company tomorrow, how to spin up a sales org? I'm not sure if I would be willing to hire even a, a, an AE or two before I had sales ops. Our our head of sales ops, Alex, Alex Miller, is a wizard, brilliant guy. Uh, you know, we always say, like, not sure how we'd get anything done without him. So it's it's not a sexy answer, but to founders, I would say, don't uh, don't wait on sales ops. Do it. You know, if you have a VP, for example, that you're that you're interviewing and they want to hire sales ops and they're saying, you know, I'll only join if I can bring my sales ops person, let them.
0: <laughs> He's a smart, he or she is a smart person.
1: Yeah, so th- that's one. I had,
0: okay, I think I had, uh, it was Pete Kazanji. I think it was him on, on my podcast before. And that's exactly the same thing he said. It, it was either him or Karen I had. Uh, one Funny. of them said that... You need to have sales ops.
1: Pete Pete's a brilliant guy. Uh, He's also an advisor for us, and we use his tool Atrium. That's another pro tip I'll give any any sales leaders, especially if you don't have sales ops. uh, You definitely need Atrium early stage because it just gives you all the data into kind of how your team's performing versus how they should be, and gives you a ton of analytics that we use day to day. Um, Still lean on that tool a ton, but yeah, Pete Pete's brilliant with with this stuff and. Uh, has some great, great tips too on that early sales hire and how to think about your metrics in terms of what you need your reps to be doing um, on a weekly basis, monthly basis, in order to expect results. So he, he's yeah. great at breaking down the science way more than than I ever am, and I love leaning on people like him, uh, which is you know like Alex, our, our sales ops guy, thinks a lot like like Pete in terms of you know, what are the numbers, what are the metrics that get us to the results instead of focusing on just deal by deal. Absolutely.
0: Cool. Uh, Nick, it was really great speaking with you. A lot of really good uh, advice here and and things to implement to take away. How can people reach out to you and learn more about you and also about Sendoso?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Nick at Sendoso.com. Check us out at Sendoso.com. if you want to send swag and gifts to people that are working from home, we are the way to do that. So we'd love to, to connect with anyone, chat early stage sales, count based marketing tactics, uh, just about anything. Always happy to chat.
0: Cool. And I'll put a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile as well for people to reach out in the show notes. Appreciate that, Adam. Cool. Nick, thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Adam. You have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.